Excuse me, sir. What are you doing? I'm all set. <laughs> Did you take that book with you into the bathroom? What do you want to hear? Hello, and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome Ted Rooney. Ted has appeared in a number of films and TV shows, including Gilmore Girls, ER, Boardwalk Empire, Legally Blonde, CSI, Gone, My Name is Earl, Weeds, Community, Bloodwork, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But Seinfeld fans will always remember him for playing the manager at Brentano's in the classic season nine episode, The Bookstore. And we're so glad he can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Ted. Okay, Adam. Boy, your voice went up an octave from when we were talking before we we turned the recording on there. Man, you're just chipper and ready to go, aren't you? (laughs) It's the difference when I hit the record button. (laughs) So were you a fan of Seinfeld before you appeared on the show? Was I a fan? Oh, my gosh. There's two shows that I was lucky enough to be uh, uh, in my first year in L.A. on. And one was ER, and I did not like it. it. I came from New York, and my roommate watched it all the time. I'd go for walks when he was watching it. And the other one was Seinfeld, which was my number one favorite show. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was my number one goal moving from New York to uh, Los Angeles was to get on Seinfeld before it went off the air. And I let my agent know it, and I let my friends know it, and I let the gods know it. So, yes. <laughs> And did you audition for any other roles on Seinfeld before your appearance in the bookstore? Did. I had two auditions for other roles. I tried to audition for Kramer, but they just they just looked at me funny because he's my hero. I'm 6'6". Six, six. He's, <laughs> I think, 6'6 six, six or 6'5". Six, and, uh, you know, gangly and uh, physical comedy is my thing. So that would have been a dream job for me. But... Uh, he was the king. There's no way I was gonna could supplant him. And so, yeah, they didn't let me audition for him. <laughs> Do you remember the other roles you auditioned for? Uh, one was a priest in the last season. I don't know if you know that that one. And the other one, it was so inconsequential, I can't remember it. But to me, it was consequential because it was my first audition that my agent got for me for Seinfeld. As I told you, I told my agent that was my goal. And he was like, this is cool. I like an actor to have a goal. So we're going to work. We're going to make that happen. And uh, and so, yeah, my first audition, it was such a bit. Well, as I told you, I told my friends and everybody about it. I actually started what would now be considered a blog, but it was a, a newsletter, you know, email newsletter. And I boldly called it the road to Seinfeld. And, and then I wrote, you know, I'd audition for other things and I'd, I'd tell a story about that audition or I got on a show and I'd write about that. But boy, when I got that first audition, I had made such a big deal out of it. And it, for myself and for others that I just felt so much pressure and I completely choked. I just <laughs> tried way too hard. And, you know, like I said, it's an inconsequential role. So I'm sure I was just way overacting and making it special when it's just like, just say the lines. <laughs> and, uh, so I wrote a, an episode about how I blew it, you know. And uh, and so then my second audition was for that priest. And uh, that was something that I felt like I was right for. And But I was still felt like I was trying to be a... Uh, a good boy and do the right thing so I can get on the show. You know, there's two ways you can try and succeed at something. One is to go for broke and the other one is to be conservative and cross your fingers. You don't want to try so hard to stand out that it's just like gross, right? Um, <laughs> right. Same time. Yeah. So uh, I felt like I, uh, for those two auditions, I really didn't have a chance at it because of my own mental gymnastics that was going on inside of me. Yeah. So that's the setup right there. So when did you first hear about the role that you got on Seinfeld and what was that audition like? Uh, well, let me see. I had gone to um, with my friends, buddies of mine. We would piled in two cars and went to Las Vegas uh, for the weekend. And that was a Friday night. And by then, auditioning in L.A. shuts down for the week. 
I mean, it's a, it's pretty you know, pretty much a, a five day uh, deal, and the weekends are off, and and in, with sitcoms and so forth too. I mean, you have the weekend off normally, so I, I'm not afraid to leave town. But I got a page back then when we had pagers, and um, <laughs> from my uh, uh, the Friday night that we had arrived in Las Vegas was something like 11:30, which is unheard of from my agent. But uh, yeah, I, I returned the call. You know, I put a few quarters in the payphone and um, called my agent uh, from Las Vegas and he was just getting ready for bed. He said, hey, man, there's this there's a last minute call for Seinfeld tomorrow morning, uh, Saturday morning. Uh, and I'm like, oh, dude, man, I'm in Las Vegas with my friends and everything. He said, OK, well, you know, I'm going to bed. But if you want to go, here's the information. And so I went back to my friends who, in the meantime, they've been reading my newsletters. And uh, I'm like, they're like, what, what, what's going on? I said, oh, my agent got me a Seinfeld audition tomorrow, but I'm here with you guys and I'm going to stay, you know? And they're like, no, you're not. You're going, you're going, you're going. <laughs> take the car, pile in the other car and come home on our own. You take that car and go. And so by the time I left uh, Las Vegas, it was like two in the morning. And it was one of those El Nino days in L.A. where it's just pouring down rain. Never stops. And uh, I went straight to the audition because it was Saturday morning, which, again, is unheard of. Uh, but there was a couple roles that were added to the script and they do that all the time. They, the scripts are always changing. Even when you start rehearsal, the script changes. And um, so they added a couple roles and they were just going to have the table read that morning. And um, so they called in a bunch of actors. And so we're all sitting out there waiting. And I'm soaking wet and I'm wearing what I had worn the day before. Wasn't dressed necessarily appropriate for the part. And I'm sitting out there thinking, this is it, man. This is it. Am I going to be a nice boy or am I just going to go for it? And I just decided I'm going to go for it. Screw it. They're going to know who I am, whether they like it or not. And so I, I'd shift my attitude. And I think a part of it, I was so tired, I didn't give a shit anymore. You know, and I, I teach on camera acting and I, I tell people all the time, your give a shit level has to be lowered. You care too much. And so uh, they called me in the room and it was my big moment. And I, I, I led with and an actor is never supposed to lead in the audition, by the way, with anything. You just stand in the room and wait for them to take the lead. I walked in the room and I led with you guys just pulled me away from a great craps game. <laughs> they, all the producers in the room, Jerry Seinfeld was in the room. And in, in, in people's audience's mind, they're like, yeah, of course. No, that's not usually the case. Usually it's the casting director and one person, maybe the director of the episode. And then the other people just look at the tape and they decide from the tape. But because it was the morning of the table read, they were all there. They were going to cast the part and go to the table read. So I said my opening line and you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> <laughs> You could see the faces, Jerry, especially Jerry. Why is the actor talking? It's just a <laughs> part. And I froze and I had like a gulp, two seconds of, oh, holy shit, what have I done? And I said, screw it. I got to do this. And I said, last night uh, I was in Las Vegas and I went with friends and it was El Nino and I didn't feel like it. And I got a call from my agent. And I had the dilemma where there's going to come in an audition for this or not. And then I looked at each person in the room, as I said, since my number one goal since coming here from New York was to get on Seinfeld before it went off the air. I am here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I got the laugh. I saved. I saved my shit. I got, got the laugh and everybody laughed. And that's how I booked the role. It wasn't the audition because the audition was just like, you know, hey, you're going in with that bathroom book and, you know, just it's I'm not the funny guy in the episode. Um, <laughs> and so and another unheard of thing is they made us all wait. Normally, you just go home and you hear silence because you're not cast. I mean, that's the typical nine times out of ten. You just get silence. And then one time out of ten, you get a phone call. But they made us all stay, which is cringing for actors to have to stay and look at each other. And then they came out and there was two roles they were casting. They pointed one person and said, you stay. And then they turned to me and pointed to me and said, you stay. And whew, that was the, the moment for me where I was just like, it's one of those fist pumping moments. Yes, 
but it wasn't really that much about being on Seinfeld. It was about riding the conclusion to the road to Seinfeld. <laughs> I could not wait to write that issue of the road to Seinfeld that I actually got on the show. I was so happy about that. And then they ushered me to the studio where they have these long tables set up and all the actors sit around the table and then the producers and the directors and the writers all sit around that table. And it's, if you've never been to a table read, it's a weird event because all the writers are there and they want all their jokes to work. So they're all like fake laughing at all their jokes and everybody wants to support the actors too. So there's a lot of <laughs> like that weird. <laughs> I just, I couldn't believe there's Jerry. There's Julia Dreyfus, there's Jason Alexander, and there's Michael Richards, and I'm sitting at the table with them. You know, imagine you haven't slept for the night. Part of you is thinking, is this real, right? And Jerry walks by me, and he puts both hands on my shoulders and leans to my ear and says, I made your day, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, man. I'm just like, I'm so, I can't believe I'm here. And because he knew that's why he gave me the part, because I put it out there. So sometimes as an actor, it's worth it to put it out there. Mostly you just get the blank stare. And why the hell is the actor talking? So you don't want to do that. <laughs> that's my story. Yeah. The rest is frosting on the cake, man. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the thing is that Jerry definitely uh, is somebody that appreciates the actors that he had on there. And, yeah. Um, Very sweet. Yeah. Uh, one of the remarkable things uh, on a set is there's no shushing and there's no raising of voices. There's no drama. And, and this is, you know, they've been doing this for years. They have it down to a science, right? And they know, they're, they have a confidence about they know it's going to work out. You know, a lot of sitcoms, their first or second season, there's a high stress level. People are worried and yelling at each other and bitching and moaning. And it was just peaceful and happy. It was really remarkable and uh yeah the common confidence about the whole thing and you know the actor gets to spend the whole week on the set with them or until thursday or whatever they shoot i forget when they shot but you know they 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 have a rehearsal and then there's rewrites and the next day you work on the rewrites and stuff and by the time you have the the big show you're so ready to go you're well rehearsed and then the night is like theater it's like live theater there's a crowd that comes in and there's a electricity in the air and they introduce the actors. You probably know all this. People have talked about it, but it's just such a special thing compared to a guest star on a drama where you show up halfway through the shoot day. You get in a trailer, you sit and wait, and then they call you on the set and a couple hellos and you shoot the scene and it's over. And you're never really a part of the community. You get to be a part of the community. I got to where Jason and Julie Louis knew my name. You know, and we would chit chat and stuff and hang out. So you get to hang out with all of them, you know, between stuff. And uh, Michael Richards, uh, he's kind of shy and kind of keeps himself. But I still got that chit chat with him about climbing. He's a he was a climber back then, really into it. And um, yeah, it was just a dream. It was just a dream. It was so cool because it's my it was my favorite show, you know. And it was you know most people's favorite show was either ER. Or Seinfeld. Seinfeld was, or ER was the number one drama on TV, and Seinfeld was the number one comedy on TV. Yeah, and and me being so new to LA too, and not having been on shows, on top of it to be on that set was just, yeah, I couldn't. It was hog heaven for me. Jason's very chatty, loves to tell stories and stuff. And uh, I have a picture of Julie Louis that when we were performing, uh, I wanted to get a picture with each person and. Her back was killing her and she was laying on her back. And so I, I asked if I could lay down next to her and take a picture. And so she allowed me to do that. So I have a picture <laughs> lying next to her on the floor. Oh, wow. That's so great. Yeah. The, we've definitely heard that from a lot of people we've interviewed that Jason, like everybody is great, but Jason and Julia were especially yeah. very open and very just wonderful people. Down to earth. Yeah. I, I was excited to see all the cereal boxes backstage. There is love of cereal, box. You had your choice of cereal at any time. You wanted to have a bowl of cereal. That's amazing. <laughs> and you touched on it a little bit, but can you describe what Jerry was like both on camera and off? Because obviously this was one of the last episodes, so he had a ton of responsibility. But what was it like watching him manage everything? And also what was it like filming that scene with him? 
um, like I said, really calm and collected and happy to be there. You know, that particular episode, he had a lot of family flying for it. His mom and uh, siblings and cousins and everything from New York. And so it was a, it was kind of an extra buzz that weekend because of that. A lot of fun. They were backstage. And um, so I think he was, you know, sure he wanted the episode to be good. But, yeah, you know, he's so confident by then. And, um, yeah, not over it at all. Just really present. And he gave me a couple feedback. You know, he was giving, he's giving actors feedback. But it's just really calm and just like, yeah, yeah I think, you know. And it's not such a big deal. Don't make such a big deal. <laughs> I think I remember that, that note because so, so super excited to be there. It's hard not to, you know, like I said, my give a shit level was probably up a little bit. I was trying to be chill, but he's like, eh, you know, you know, just do your job, you know, <laughs> but not in a condescending way. Really, really, really nice and appreciative. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say his family came in for that because I think they actually had his mom sit next to Kramer on the couch in that opening scene when he has all the people over Jerry's apartment. There it is. I, that's a little that's right. thing I didn't know, but um, yep, had her in town, got her on the show. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Pulled a few right. strings. No, no, he didn't have to pull strings. <laughs> <laughs> Now, in that final scene with Jerry, uh, did you shoot multiple takes of that ending? Yes, I think we shot a couple takes. Um, but, uh, you know, they shoot one scene all the way through for the audience and then they go back and shoot it again. And generally, I think it wasn't going to be more than two because it had been rehearsed again, too. That's a big advantage of sitcom where the drama is like you have to rehearse it and then you're going to tweak it even as you shoot. Um, so yeah. And, and, and the feeling is, you know, two takes for the audience and move on to keep them happy. And by then I think that was kind of probably policy on the Seinfeld on Seinfeld because they, it's like, we got it. It's good enough. Everybody's doing their job. You know, they're, they're not inviting people on the set that don't do their job well. And there might be an actor. will say, can we get this one line or something? And they go back and get that, you know, the audience will quiet down and they'll just shoot that line three times. Yeah, so it might have been that because it was physical when Jason got grabbed by the security guard, they might have shot that an extra time, you know, that I don't remember. And um, was anything improvised during rehearsals that made it into the episode? The line when Jason responds to me, when I say, did you just bring that book into the bathroom? Uh, they toyed with that one. And the line he said, I think it was just told on the just just say this instead. And uh, and so he said it a couple ways, I think, because it, it wants to be funny, you know, and he ends up saying something like, what do you want me to say? Yeah. Right? What, what, what do you want to hear? <laughs> <laughs> and that was like a, a teeter kind of laugh, but it wasn't a laugh laugh. So they were hoping for to find the right phrase. that was a laugh laugh. But the one they threw out wasn't working. So it was just more. Yeah. And you said before that you got to chat with Julia on the set. Do you remember what you guys talked about? She talked about um, the workday and how it's just ideal with kids. You know, you're out by three o'clock and you can pick up the kids from school and everything. What a dream job it is uh, compared to the dramas. I mean, that can be drudgery. Night shoots and, you know, eight day uh, shooting schedule. And uh, sitcom is like four or five days at the most. And off by three o'clock usually. So I remember was, us talking about that and, and thinking, hmm, that's a nice goal to have. <laughs> Be a series regular. <laughs> <com."> <laughs> that's a little harder to succeed at than a guest star, though. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And also, um, according to the DVD extras, your character's name was Crichton because of your resemblance to the author Michael Crichton who I have to mention, incidentally, because he's one of my favorite authors and also one of my dad's favorite authors. Um, so did anyone from the cast or crew mention this to you? Or Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew they gave me that uh, for that. And uh, funny enough, you know, he wrote ER. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was on ER that year, too. And and somebody had mentioned that I, you know, look a bit like like him because of my height, too, there. Yep, they gave me that because of my tall, skinny figure. That's awesome. Yeah, um, people probably know him for writing ER. He also wrote Jurassic Park and all Mm -hmm. kinds of great books. So he's, yeah, rest in peace, Michael Crichton. 
And there were so many great guest stars who appeared on the show that week. There was Wayne Knight, who played Newman, John O'Hurley, who played Peterman, Len Lesser, who played Uncle Leo. Did you get to interact with any of them at all? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Uncle Louie was there. And so he was around an old New Yorker, you know, with the real deal. Old New, I'm assuming he's Jewish, but I was going to say old New York Jew. Um, uh, you know, just tell you stories. Those folks have stories. And, um, and Newman was there, uh, sweet guy, you know. Uh, oh, um, what was cool was um, I went to Temple University for my MFA in acting. And somebody who was going to school there, um, I knew, was guest writer because he wrote one of the, which one did he wrote? I think he might have written the rickshaw. Um, but what will happen is a, a, a writer will pitch, and he'd been pitching for a long time, um, ideas. And I think he was a PA or something like that. And he got to pitch a couple ideas and then he pitched, I think the rickshaw. So they'll just pitch one, you know, storyline and, uh, and then they'll be invited on the set as a writer. So he was on the set as a writer, you know, two temple grads, we were there together and we commiserated, but you know, I think his storyline gets tweaked by the, the writers, you know, but if you pitch an idea and they use it, you're officially one of the writers for that week. And they're looking for ideas at that point because, you know, after however many seasons, seven seasons, it, ideas are everything because they can write it. Just give us the idea. And it's funny you say that because we interviewed Ted Davis, who was in a season one episode of Seinfeld, and he was actually in a storyline for this episode that they scrapped. But we read the original script for that with him. So I'm assuming that they got rid of that original storyline and they replaced it with the rickshaw story. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Uh, So who did you bond with the most that week? I just bonded with the Seinfeld cast and just bonded with the experience. I mean, I was just, you know, you guys are huge fans, so you can imagine what it would feel like to just be there hanging out on the set. Uh, just you know such an amazing feeling yeah i'm hanging out for the whole day you know for four days in a row uh right it's just you know you know i I didn't go around following these people around trying to you know interrupt their life i'm not that kind of a person but uh just pleasure you know i achieved my goal and then my agent's like what's your next goal uh uh and i didn't give him anything (laughs) (laughs) yeah you, you peaked (laughs) I'm so happy. And I got on ER too. I, you know, I did six episodes of ER and I'm like, I, how could I expect anything more? Uh, but in hindsight, you know, I wish I had picked something. (laughs) There was nothing else I loved on TV. You know, I didn't want to, you know, fake it. Like exactly. And after Seinfeld, it's like, eh, everything's just nothing else compares. (laughs) About three minute, a baby. (laughs) (laughs) it's okay and being that this was one of the last episodes of the series did anything about your time on the show feel like you were in one of the last episodes anything on set happen that just you know the whole thing that uh, jerry's family came in because they knew they were looking for a chance to come in before the season was over you know and there was a feeling on the set just uh, in general this is this is something coming to an end special and so i think there was there's probably, you know, extra skip to all the actors, the regular actors and so forth, you know, that this is this is a cool thing. There wasn't there wasn't the feeling like we are so over this at all, you know. Yeah. But it was time. It was time. You know, it was a good episode, too. Oh, yeah. Classic. Classic. Yeah. One thing I read about this episode that I thought was cool is the set used for the coffee shop at Brentano's is the same coffee shop set that was used in the first episode of Seinfeld. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's sort cool. of came. Yeah, sort of came full circle there. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the diner, uh, it's Tom's restaurant in New York up on the Upper West Side. And mm-hmm. so as I was a big fan of Seinfeld and living in New York, I often went there for breakfast, you know, and. So dreaming about going to the fake diner. And so I got to <laughs> hang out in the fake diner, you know, just sit in the sit in the one of the booths and just be there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I didn't do a scene. I, I still got to I, you know, walked all over the set. I, I did one thing where it was 
it was too much of a, a star crush thing. And I crossed the line uh, with Michael Richards because I said, hey, um, can I get a picture of you? And he's like I said, he's shy or he keeps to himself. I'm, and I know he doesn't really like, you know, he doesn't enjoy that stuff. I understand. It's it's a little, you know. And so uh, and then and then I uh, I couldn't my camera wasn't working and he's waiting and then I had to borrow a camera. And by then I just should have said, it's fine. It's fine. No, thanks anyway. But because of my, oh, I got to get a picture of my, with Michael Richards. Then I asked him if I could do a picture with him, with us poking our heads in Jerry's apartment door, because you know, that would be cool, but that's, it's like, no, now you're like, could you do that thing you do for me and me being with you? <laughs> you know, in general, I'm pretty sensitive to that. But I was just so like agog that I went ahead and asked that question. And his face kind of, you know, he's like, eh, that's OK. <laughs> so we did do a picture standing next to each other. But by then I kind of felt like, uh, you know, <laughs> across the line. You know, and tur I turned into a worshiper. You know, you don't want to worship uh, people. And, and, and mo most of them don't like that. They they just appreciate being treated like a person. And yes. some of them like the worship. You know, they bought into it. They bought into the whole thing that they're better than other people. But most actors haven't. Most actors are really cool. And they, they, they prefer you just talk to them like a person. Yeah, exactly. They've... Yeah, they've had so many people come up to them and be like, oh, my gosh, it's you. And they would rather have somebody come up and say, hey, how you doing? Like, treat them like a normal person, for yeah. sure. And you think yeah. about it. You know, you know yourself. You know you're not a god. You know right. you're very, very, very human. And somebody comes up and says, you're special. You're so awesome. It's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> exactly. You don't know. Okay, no, I'm not. Um, so that whole thing, you know. I kind of bought into it at that point. I crossed the line. Michael, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, hopefully he listened to this and uh, he'll hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so who's the performance did you enjoy watching the most? Well, you know, Jerry doesn't even consider himself an actor. And, you know, <laughs> he got better as it went. But <laughs> he was Jerry, you know. Um, Michael Richards is one of my comedic heroes. So I watched him closely. And, uh, you know, his body, the way he uses his body is really next level. True clown, really. He's a clown uh, in, in, in almost the traditional sense. You know, take away the makeup. He moves like a clown. He, he uses his body and timing and everything. And the other sense of a clown, clownness isn't in, in a sitcom sense, isn't the, you know, isn't a clown. It's the person who brings funny to anything can bring funny to anything. Hello is a laugh line. Uh, you know, he does a double take or a, a second guess or a, you know, thing. And <laughs> it becomes a laugh. So he right. can, uh, the clowns are expected to bring funny. So the writer doesn't have to. And the character is funny just by themselves. Uh, whereas most of the laughs in sitcoms are written jokes, set up joke, set up joke. And so you don't have to be funny. You just have to be believable. An expedient in your believability. <laughs> if you can do that, you can deliver it timely in a in a believable way. It's funny because the writers made it funny. But Michael Richards is one of those rare clowns. So most act most comedic actors aren't clowns. They they'd be uncomfortable if they had the pressure on them to be funny, you know. But he, that's he's in his element doing that. That's a special talent. That's a next level thing. So yeah, I had my I watched his every move. <laughs> yeah, I watched the final season live with my parents and I was young, but I do have very vivid memories of the last few episodes. And this episode is definitely one of them. And just that opening scene when Kramer is by himself in Jerry's apartment, <laughs> you, oh, you see you see what he does when Jerry's not there. I just I laughed so hard at that. See, there's a silent, um, silent clown scene there. Yeah, it's, it's just totally vaudeville, totally old school stuff that's in the roots of comedy that he brings to it, you know, the slapstick, uh, Italian comedia, comedia dell'arte. Uh, it's all that's in him. All those traditions are in the contemporary Kramer. Yeah, it's fantastic. 
and he's not credited, but Gary Shanling actually wrote a few jokes for this episode. Uh, did you see him at all on the set that week? No, no. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's sure. Certainly, uh, I forget how they overlap, but they, the Larry, the Larry, Larry Sanders, Gary Shanling show. What's what was it called? The Larry San- Sanders show? Forget. Larry Sanders. Yeah. Yeah. Larry Sanders show. The show I became my favorite after Seinfeld. Yeah. So apparently, obviously, Jerry and Gary are close friends Makes sense. and they would take walks a lot yeah. on the soundstage and kind of bounce things off each other back and forth. And Gary yeah. wrote a couple of jokes and Jerry put it in that episode, the scene when George asks Jerry, what do you read in the bathroom? And Jerry says, I don't read in the bathroom. And George <laughs> says, well, aren't you something? <laughs> that was Gary Shanling. <laughs> Gary Shanling wrote that. Nice. Was his show shooting at the time? It was, yeah. Uh, was it on the same lot? Yeah, I believe they were next to each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. They knew each other from the old stand-up days, too. Oh, of course, yeah. Do you have any props or keepsakes from your time on the show? Ah, anything I stole from the set? I would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, never. <laughs> I, I might have considered stealing a box of cereal. But that's really not special. Um, no, I did from the Gilmore Girls because um, I was on the last episode of that. And so I stole a coffee mug from the um, from Luke's diner. And so uh, I'm able to sh- have the coffee mug and show people, you know, episodes where that's the coffee mug. because It's in the background there. I told I was uh, interviewed by Scott Patterson, who played Luke. You guys may not be Gilmore Girls fans, but uh, he- he was Wait. on Seinfeld. Yeah, he was on Seinfeld. That's right. Have you interviewed him? <laughs> no, I would love to. But yeah, he was Adam. He was uh, in the sponge. Yep. Yeah, he was Billy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. He, well, the exercise, blood test, immaculate. <laughs> <laughs> you going to do something about your sideburns? Yeah, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I told him I stole the cup from the, It was a bit of a thing. And he, he had taken a few things from the set the last day, too. So we had commiserated about that. <laughs> <laughs> did you keep your script from Seinfeld? I did. It's bare. I have a stack of scripts. And I, I kept it. That's probably worth some money now, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have a favorite memory from that week? Well, it was very much like being uh, the performance was very much like being in theater. And I'm a theater actor. So it just felt cool to be doing my because on camera it doesn't feel like theater acting. You know, it's like you got to throw the, all that out and just be super, you know, scaled down to for a theater actor. That's that's usually not an easy prospect. But um, just having the audience there and it was my second scene and the last scene there and the last take. I just felt like I was in the groove, you know. And it was happening. And Jerry's there. And um, I just felt like, because I wasn't like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, my give a shit level had lowered by then. I was just in one of the pack. I was one of the actors there. You know, I didn't feel like it was super special, but it doesn't need to be super special. I'm just doing my job. I teach on-camera acting. And, and a lot of um, guest star roles are workplace scenes. You're just doing your job. And I just tell the actors, just do your job. Don't think about when the camera's on you and stuff. Just do your job and you'll be fine. And so I really felt like I was just the bookstore guy doing my job. And, you know, big laugh came, but I wasn't, you know, at the end of the scene because that, uh, yeah, it felt like I was in my groove. So it just feel it's a good feeling for an actor, especially considering what a spe- special deal it was to me. All right. So before we let you go, we're just going to get into our final segment. It's called This, That and the Other. Basically, we just ask you a question. And the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. So first question, what role or performance are you proudest of? Uh, I'm assuming you're meaning on camera because I'm a theater actor and there's a ton that. Yes, I on hear. on camera. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the assumption, of course, because, you know, most actors who are also theater actors, so much more of their time and effort has been put into the performances. And so uh, because especially as a guest star actor, you know, it's like one day, two days on the set. But um, because I'm a theater actor. And I consider myself a character actor, which a character actor means you can take on roles that aren't like yourself. 
And as a theater actor, you must be a character actor. You can't even be your, just yourself on stage. Um, it's just not enough. You have to become more than yourself, at least. But um, because I'm a character actor, I came to L.A. like I'm going to do character parts. And, um, and it was, I was just too much. And so um, you bring that theatricality to it and people are just like, yeah! they went screaming. And um, I had to learn how to scale down and not be a character actor and just be boring old Ted because that's what they want. They don't want a great character actor. They want you to be you, which is like, what? To a theater actor, oh, who am I? I don't know who I am. And so to be a successful on-camera actor, you have to, if you're a theater actor, you have to get down to that place where you just trust yourself and you're just yourself, which is great because if you can do that, you can work a, a shitload. Uh, but it's just kind of the same thing over and over. And you'll notice a lot of stars are just themselves with a different jacket on, a different hat on, uh, you know, a co as a cop, as a fireman or as a secretary, whatever. It's the same person we're seeing, right? Because that's what they want. They want to hire the person who looks right for the part and sounds like the part. They don't want a great character actor. Of course, in Hollywood, great character actors arise. And because of their their success as an actor playing themselves, they were able to say, no, I want to play a character. So it's kind of like swimming, swimming upstream to do character work. I know this is a long answer to your question, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to really nail a character role on camera and not just be boring old Ted. And um, by the time I moved up to Portland, because I lived in L.A. for 10 years and my wife turned to me after having been married two years to me in L.A. and said, can we not live here? And <laughs> anywhere but LA and she's from the south and she's a small town kind of person and LA was just too much for her and so I said oh, okay how about my hometown Portland so we moved up here um so funny enough it was after I moved up here that my LA agent got me auditioned for the New York film show Boardwalk Empire and um it was for an Irishman with an Irish accent they were asking for only Irish and British actors that means they don't trust an American actor to do play that character successfully. And uh, I'm sorry, it's not appropriate, but I'm getting a little emotional because I'm, I'm just recalling the memory. My teaching partner here was also an actor and he did. Uh, he did a lot of on camera acting. He was a successful character on Grimm, a show that shot here in Portland. And we were part we've been part. We were partners for eight years teaching here. And he helped coach me with that audition because I said, I'm just, oh, my agent had to push for me to even get the audition because he's like, I'm an, he's American. He can do it. He can do it. He can do it. He can do the Irish. And so they said, OK, have him send in a tape. And my buddy and I, we worked it, worked on it together. And I just worked my ass off uh, getting that accent down and then relaxing into that character. So I wasn't too much, you know, and then my buddy had me come over to his place and we cheated. And you're, you, normally you're not supposed to dress up as the character and use props and everything like it. it. It's one of those moments where I went for it, just like the Seinfeld audition. So it is. There is a thread here. There is a tie in here. I decided to go for it. And my buddy's like, you let's do this. And so I dressed up as the character and we had food. It was a dining dining room table scene and had all my eye lines because I'm talking to different people around the table. But he's delivering all the off, off camera stuff. And just busted my butt. And I actually asked for more time, which I'd never do that either because you're afraid you're going to lose it at that point. I needed a couple more days because I wasn't ready. And I wanted to just be I wanted to nail it and be in that place, like I said, where you're just in the zone and not trying to perform. And so we shot the first take and my buddy's like, what do you think? And I'm like, ah, I need to go in the corner. And so I did. I just I went in the corner. I took a breath and what it's all about and what the scene is all about. Did that actor thing that I'm usually embarrassed to do, but I'm like, I'm going for it and did the take. And my buddy goes, what do you think? And I'm like, that was good. He goes, it was good. And then we did the second scene and we mailed it into New York and I booked it from Portland, Oregon. I got this part, which is like, it had three scenes in that episode and a really, really good part. And they believed I was Irish. <laughs> and uh and so it was like a coming home for a character actor to say if you can do it on in film you're a true character actor because anybody can do it on stage <laughs> you know big and broad and stuff but to ha bring it to the close-up 
then you've arrived. And so for me, and it's ironic since it's after I left L.A., I feel like I got my my real true character part. And then they wrote me into another episode. And I think it part of the reason is they like me so much. I don't know. And the, the last the second episode was shot, uh, uh, was placed in Ireland. And this, this time Nucky goes to Ireland to visit me and uh, be my guest. And it was like four really good scenes. So for me, that was just like amazing. That's great. And what a special show to be a part of, too. I love that show. Yeah, for sure. When I got the script, they, they, they called me like the day before and said, we're going to have you do another episode. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, how often does that happen for an actor? And then I got the script the next day and nobody told me anything about the script. And I feathered through it. First scene. Oh, my God, this is a good scene. And this is like they're developing my character here. And then the second scene more. It's like they're really developing who I am. So, you know, the actors thinking they're going to have me on more episodes. Maybe I'll become a series regular. Maybe I'll become maybe, maybe, maybe. Right. So I'm getting all excited about that third scene. Another really good scene. Oh, my gosh. Fourth scene ends with rat-a-tat, 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 tat. McGarrigal gets cut in half by a Tommy gun. <laughs> because, you know, this happens all the- I laughed at that point. I didn't like, what? No. I laughed at myself for getting my hopes up, you know. But there's no way I was going to come back from that. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I got to say, another one of my favorite roles of yours is in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, because that's one of my favorite episodes when you play the museum curator. Figured one of you guys might be a fan of that show. Yeah, that that one's just unbelievable. The line that you have, and you're so serious about it. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. I could imagine. I remember my audition for that. Uh, I didn't even know about the show, but the casting director was like, that's good. Now, can you be more pissed off and more angry at these idiots? And so... <laughs> And see, and after she goes, that's it. That's good. That's good. <laughs> well, that's that's the best part of the show. It's just idiots doing idiotic things. Uh, that's why it's oh, an amazing show. <laughs> well, and that goes back to that old school comedy. You know, they're playing these archetypal characters that are from way back in comedy. The idiots. Right. You know. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite film? Um, well, uh, one of my my wife and I's favorite is Magnolia. And we've we've revisited, uh, you know, every four or five years and have a good cry at the end of it. I just love how it it moves through all those different scenarios and ties them all together and how gritty and real it is. But it still has hope. And there's still, you know, the whole redemption thing, which always gets me. Um, But I also teach um, one of the scenes in class in my uh, second tier level of on camera acting. I have the, uh, the actors play a couple characters from Magnolia. So, uh, yeah, so it's and then we watch the movie afterwards. So it's kind of a big part of my life. Uh, favorite actor you've ever worked with? I was in a movie, a small movie in, filmed in uh, Portland called Kill Hole, which was Chadwick Boseman's first leading part. And I, I played kind of a bad guy in the film and we had a few scenes together and we hung out. And so he was really cool, young actor. So, you know, he's had had quite a successful career and he's beloved by many people. So uh, I think he, he turned out to be a really great actor. There was still a bit of a learning curve going on with Kill Hole, you know, uh, but he was a serious actor and a uh, sweet guy. Yeah, for sure. Favorite band or musician? Well, I'm pretty much a Beatles-influenced fan, but uh, I just bought two tickets. I just thought about this story um, when I was in New York, and I snuck into a, a, a cake concert at the uh, Ed Sullivan show, uh, stage there. They were having a concert there that was live and was going to be broad- broadcast, and I just flew in for the Boardwalk episode that day, and I, I knew it was happening. And I drove to this to the uh, I took a taxi to the theater and it was all the doors were all closed and I had my luggage with me and I got out of the car and it was full. There was there weren't anybody else in. And a guy came up to me and said, are you the photographer? And I said, yes. And 
he ushered me to the front row of the cake concert. Uh, and I'd been oh. a big fan of cake for years. And that's awesome. Had an amazing experience. It was like so surreal to get off the plane and then suddenly be right there. And my wife is texting me. I see you. I see you. Cause she was watching the live, you know, thing. And so <laughs> I bought tickets for they're coming to Portland this summer. I just bought, that's what made me think of cake. Cause I just, I just love them. They're just great. And uh, I love their harmonies and they're just and they kind of that Beatles influence. And, um, and so I just bought two tickets for that to see them this summer. Awesome. <laughs> Um, the role that you didn't get that you really wanted. Well, every actor who's hung around Hollywood for 10 years and has gotten auditions has a few of those stories. The one that got away, the one that was promised and didn't happen. Um, but the one that I didn't get that I wanted was, uh, but I kind of got and I got uncast was uh, it was community. There's a character who uh, the, uh, the dean of students who became a series regular. Um, so I got cast as that role and I read it for the table read. So the first table read of the first episode and met all the producers and everybody's hugging me and I'm a part of the family. This is where I tell actors, you know, they're going to dangle the carrot sometimes. Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. But in this case, I'm putting the carrot in my mouth. I took a bite of the carrot. I'm a part of the cast. And then the first day of shooting, I got a call from my agent and said, yeah, no. And then my wife and I, because up here, we're looking for apartments down there and got the call. And that kind of stuff happens. And it turns out the head of the network, which is NBC, I think he wanted me replaced. And so it went, they went with that bald character who's like, I'm so not gay. That whole thing. <laughs> Because my take on the character was not that at all. I was just, you know, just goofy, but not. And I'm like, I could have done that because I'm so not gay. Oh, my God. Why didn't you do that? <laughs> oh, but, man. Yeah, you would have been great in that role, too. Those are killer. When those happen, when you get your hopes, well, you get more than your hopes up. You're, that's the hard one. And I actually called my agent. Um, I, I, I asked my agent after a year afterwards because it, it's it got it was stuck in me. I said. I never asked you this, and I know you're probably not going to tell me the truth, but why? What happened? What happened? And he said, the the network, you know, president, he's the one that made the call to turn uh, Leno to, from 10 to 10 to 11 in the evening. In other words, Leno uh, every night from 10 to 11, so all the evening dramas were taken off, and the actors just ever hated him for that. But he also made the call that Ted Rooney be replaced. <laughs> <laughs> I even said everybody loved you and wanted you for the part. You know, that's the right thing to say. Was it true? I don't know. I'll never know. But he said everybody loved you, but that, you know, dickwad, sorry, that um, jerk uh, just didn't like you. And that happens. Oh, you know, man. Person that makes the final call doesn't like it, like you, you're out. They had me, they then they didn't even audition me for it. They just said, hey, you want to come down and do an episode? Because they felt bad, you know. And um, I'd, I saw a couple of the actors after that and you could see them like, oh, sorry, I'm so sorry, because they knew what happened, you know, right. and I'd be back for one episode. And I kind of regret going back and doing that because it was really hard for me to be on the set and go back and just like and um, I forget who the black woman was um, on the show. Yvette Nicole Brown. Exactly. She spotted me when I was on the set and she came right up to me. And she knew exactly what I was going through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and locked eyes with me. And I get, again, I get teary eyed easily, but uh, she locked eyes with me and said, you are so funny. I just uh -huh. want you to know you are so funny. And she was reassuring the insecure actor in me. It's like, I wasn't funny enough. You know, that's why I wasn't funny enough. And, uh, she, and I just, I cried. Because she knew exactly what I was going through and she knew exactly what to say. It was so sweet of her. So sweet. But I was also tall with a beard and Chevy Chase was tall with a beard at the time. So I think that it could have come down to that, too. Just not having another tall, skinny, bearded guy and not just yeah. Chevy's thunder, you know, because yeah. Chevy's Chevy Chase. Mm. Right, exactly. Yeah. But he was talking about it. I. When I was talking with Chevy Chase and he brought up the whole 
uh, I just I remember this now. He was talking about the network president, whatever you call him, um, who made that call with the Leno show and what, it, you know, he was just like ripping on him. This guy, you know, doesn't care about actors, doesn't care about, you know, trying to make money. And... Wow. Um, so you got out of me, guys. You got a lot out of me for a bit part player, you know? Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. And final thing, you might have answered this already, but favorite moment of your career so far? Well, it's going to be a tough one. It's a coin t- toss between uh, Boardwalk, the second episode, shooting those scenes in the groove, in the costume, playing a character, people believing I'm Irish, and getting on my favorite sitcom, Seinfeld. Those are two great ones for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been so much fun, Ted. Thank you so much for coming on our show and telling us about your experience on Seinfeld and some of the other roles in your career. This was just such a pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure is mine. A lot of fun. Yeah, this was fantastic. You were somebody that when I found out we were going to be speaking with you, we were really excited because not only do you play such a great character in Seinfeld, you play with the part so well, but you've been in so many memorable shows. Yeah, and like I said before, I remember the final season a lot from when I was a kid and I watched it with my parents. And I do remember that last scene that you were in with Jerry when George gets caught stealing the book. And it's really cool that 24 years later, I get to talk to you about it. So this was awesome. <laughs> well, you guys are young. 24 years from now, you look back upon this conversation and feel like it happened just yesterday. And that's what it feels <laughs> like. To, uh, it, it goes fast, people. So live live hard, man. Uh, put it out there. Those two times I put it out there, Boardwalk Empire, Seinfeld. I did the same. I have a similar story with ER, by the way, when I got that role. But I, I didn't always put it out there. You know, do it. Go for it. One life to live. That's my <laughs> advice to you kiddies out there. That's a great advice. <laughs> That's a great note to end on, Ted. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Have a great night. All right. Have a good night, too. Thanks, Ted. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Did you want to speak to the manager? Yes, my Uncle Leo was caught shoplifting here the other day. Yes, Uncle Leo, I remember him. I'm sorry, our policy is we prosecute all shoplifters. Oh, come on, he's just a lonely old man. All old people steal. That's right. That's why we stopped carrying batteries. (laughs) Look, I'll be honest with you. We've had a lot of trouble with theft lately, and my boss said I have to make an example of someone. So it could be anyone? Mm, I guess, as long as we catch him in the act. (laughs) That guy swore! Swore! (laughs) Come!